0: Juliet Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Dogcast Radio. In today's show, we find out about shangora.
1: It has been um, used in yarns by native Americans and Scandinavians for blankets and clothing. A lot of people haven't even heard of it, so it's, it's really good to talk about.
0: And we also have the DogCast Radio News. But before all that, we have an interview with dog trainer Karen Wild about some innovative work she's been doing in a school with a Labrador. We started off by talking about Karen's background with dogs.
2: Well, my background with dogs was, um, it was sort of a bit erratic to begin with. I wasn't one of those children that always loved dogs and things like that. And I did have pets, and I used to sort of train my guinea pigs and things like that. I wasn't <laughs> really aware that I was chewing it. And, um, and it was only really when I, um, when I sort of moved into my own home that I thought, right, well, I really want a dog because I wanted a companion. Um, and that stayed with me. You know, we did have dogs when I was younger, and was t- they were in and out of our family and that kind of thing. But it was never a big deal for me until I really wanted a companion pet. And it was only then I got this sort of little rescue dog and thought, actually, you yeah, know it's a bit of a challenge, and I started to train him and mm. went to the training classes and ended up sort of being a bit of a dab hand at it, probably because I'd done a lot of it in the past without really knowing about it and they asked me to um to be an assistant instructor, and then I qualified as an instructor and i took I took classes for a while um, and then um and then from then on, you know my family sort of grew. And um, I had a bit of a break from the classes because it was a big commitment and got back into it through sort of one to one because I find that that's actually it's easier for the person to take in what you're trying to say you can tailor what you want to what they need and what the dog needs. And, you know, you get much more opportunity to, to help them, really. It's very, very difficult, I find, in a class to help people with a problem. Yeah. You know, it's nice to be able to teach them things and say, well, here is how we do this, and they can have a go. And I love that environment. But I find now, I find the one-to-one a lot more rewarding. I really do. Yeah. And, um, and also, it can take on any form. So it can take on someone who's, you know, just had a new puppy and they want to do the right thing. Um, you know my kind of dream client if you like <laughs> um, and people that uh, you know obviously have gone down the road of, of sort of having a lot of problems and finally contacted me in a, in a behaviour capacity so although I'm a qualified trainer um, I also wanted to become an accredited behaviourist because I feel that that is an area where really you do need to know exactly what you're doing mm. um, so the experience that I've had over the last I don't know must be like 16 years now is, is really built up to that point rather than driving in at that end and saying, this is what I want to do. It's a natural progression and it's something that I enjoy. Um, you know, so day to so day, I mean, gosh, it can be really varied. I mean, some days I've got, you know, a, a new puppy and a family that are very concerned to sort of make sure the puppy's going, going to grow up with the children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then go from that appointment on to, you know, an old dog that's perhaps waking in the night and wandering about and doesn't really know what it's doing and they're not sure what to do with it. And, and you know, speaking to the vet about a case like that. Um, and and sort of in between fitting my own dogs and my own family. (laughs) uh, But Coco, Coco, the the, the school dog, has really been one of the best parts of what I've been doing lately. Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: I guess that's an extension of, you know, obviously it's an extension of your work one-to-one, because mm it's, you know, although it's not always appreciable. That is life-changing stuff because you're you're actually changing the life of the person and the dog you're working with and perhaps saving that dog from ending up in rescue at times, I imagine.
2: Yeah, well, sometimes, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, you can't sort of think about it. like I think I'd frighten myself to if I <laughs> started of thinking of it like that. What I normally do, because I really like people, you know, people say to me, well, you must really love dogs, and I think, yes, I do, but I also absolutely love people and mm. I really want to get them, you know, sort of feeling good about the situation and feeling that they understand a lot about the situation, you know, and what's relevant to the dog and what's relevant to them and what's relevant most of all to their family. So if you can do that... Um, and then they come back to you and say, you know, wow, we've never looked back. The dog's been great. Thanks so much. And you think great because I've made sort of lots of people happier. Yeah. Um, and that sounds a bit sug- sugary, but I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, you know, if you can see a problem, I'm a bit like a terrier myself. I you know, <laughs> have to grab hold of it and sort of can't let go of it until it's sorted out. Um, so yeah, I, you know, and it, you know, sometimes, sometimes, you know, if, if you're talking about rescue, sometimes you just have to say to them. I don't know if this is going to work, you know, and it can be really difficult to say, Mm. and I try my utmost to sort everything else out, but there are times where it's just untenable. But even then, part of my job as as a counsellor is to sort of try and give them the options and say, you know, you don't have to do this, you can do this or this or this, and then they can make the choice so you're empowering them.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, one one of the things I don't like is is where people are told that they're doing something wrong or they're made to feel like they're stupid Mm. or, you know, that they're, they're... you know, that just because they don't know something doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they didn't know it yet. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so that is something that I, I see as a big part of what I do. Because a lot of what we do, it's not, it isn't rocket science. You do need to know what you're doing, but it's not, you know, it's not so difficult to take on board once you get your head around it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I like doing that, and I like to give people that feeling that they can cope. I think that's really important.
0: Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. That sounds lovely. I, I, it's funny because I've talked to a lot of trainers, and most of them say, you know, I love dogs. I don't think I've ever heard one say but I love people too. It's normally, yeah. <laughs> the dog is okay, it's the owner that's the problem, so it's nice to, to hear that well, side of it. That,
2: you know? I honestly do see it as teamwork. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think it's particularly revolutionary, but because, because if I don't teach the person, if I don't teach them what to do, the dog's never going to learn anything. I mean, yes, I could take the dog away and train it for them, but... You know, if I don't teach them, the dog's never going to learn anything. But at the same time, they've got to accept that they've got an animal there that is going to work in a certain way, that's going to have exceptionally good you know, sense of smell, for example, in some dogs, and you know, really good senses that people don't have. And if the people don't understand that, with what they've got in front of them, there's never going to be that teamwork that I'm really after. So it's a bit of give and take. You know, they have to concede certain things about the dog, but the dog has to understand, you know, that they don't know everything about, for example, road safety. You know, a dog can't necessarily know what's coming down the road and understand the concept of a traffic light. Very difficult, you know, so... It has to be a bit of both. I think you've got to be even-handed, really. But, like i said, you know, there are situations where you just cannot let a dog do what it wants to do. You can't. Um, And I try and be fair with people about it and say, you know, what the dog's doing is perfectly acceptable to the dog, you know, but it's not acceptable to you. So it's a bit unfair to lay all the blame on the owners, I think, sometimes.
0: Yeah, yeah. OK, you've mentioned um, your work with Coco, the dog. Uh So tell us um, a bit about Coco and, and the work that you've been doing with her.
2: Um, Coco is um, a chocolate Labrador and um, she's about 18 months old now and um, she belongs to the head teacher of a, of a school for special needs called the Willoughby School in Bourne in Lincolnshire and um, she was brought in by the head teacher as, as for, first and foremost a pet dog for him but also he deliberately wanted to bring a dog to the school yeah. um, because he obviously knew that he, he and his uh, um, other half you know, didn't want a dog to leave it at home all day and um, they wanted this to sort of enmesh in their lives and obviously being the head teacher of a school like, like the special school that it is, he it is a very big part of his life. Mm. So um, they got her when she was very, very young and called me more or less straight away. I think they even called me before they brought her home and what we really worked on was bringing her into the environment where she would need to become very comfortable with some of the things that she was going to see and do and, and smell and you know, people she would meet and those kinds of things. Mm. Um, And, you know, it wasn't like a big intention for her to be a therapy dog or anything like that. It was more to do with integrating her as part of, you know, school life and something that the children could have as an an enrichment. Do you you see what I mean? Yes, yeah. Um, And um, so we started off with, you know, my my biggest thing with her to begin with was socialising her, Mm. getting her used to things, just not really pressurising her too much with training, basic things, you know, basic expectations, that you would do with any puppy, really, but also giving her very gradual exposure to this, the kinds of things that she might come across. You know, children that act differently, children mm. in wheelchairs. Um, some, some might call out suddenly. You know, things like that that perhaps your your normal dog that doesn't come across those things would find extremely out of the ordinary. So we had to make those things familiar with for Coco. Yeah. Um, and it and it and it worked very well. I mean, I must say, Adam, who is the head teacher, uh, Mister Adam Booker, he was extremely thorough. Um, obviously, I think being a teacher himself has, has helped a great deal. Yeah. Um, but he's also explained that Coco's quite a good therapy for him because, you know, she can be, um, you know, she, he can take her out on walks. He can get his mind off any stress if he's got any. You yeah. know, she's a good companion. So she, she's sort of very, very useful, if you like. But yeah. also, yeah because she's used to it, she loves the contact, she really does. Mm. Um, you know, so so it, it sort of started off like that and developed to where we are now, which is the, um, the Cocoa Academy class that we do. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So, so tell us something about
0: that. I mean, well, I'm, it's really interesting because a school environment anyway is busy and there's things going on and people coming and going but you know when you've got children with special needs whatever those are Mm. as you say there's a lot more to get used to and behavior that dogs wouldn't normally see so it's really Mm. interesting so tell us about coco's um, academy then
2: well the academy class what we what we decided to do um was to have a class of children that were slightly older um who can then make what they learn um, part of um, almost like a not not exactly a qualification but it is part of their Duke of Edinburgh's award for some of them they're doing a silver award um, which is to do with you know animal care animal handling um, and that kind of thing but it works on that level as a very practical basis but it also works on another basis which is to do with empathy and understanding um, of, of a creature and how another thing might feel and those kinds of things that some of the children, particularly those with certain conditions, do find quite difficult. Mm. Um, it was important to make sure that they learned about animal care and about pet care and, and those kinds of things and also... You know, what happens if you would do that to an animal? Would the animal possibly, you know, put, you know, might you be putting yourself in danger? Would the yes. animal possibly bite you? You know, things about safety yes. um, as well as looking after the dog, but without making it over-familiar for Coco. So I think by that I mean I was very aware that if we give children an opportunity to interact with the dog, and the dog is absolutely fine with it, which Coco was because she was so used to everything that's going on because we worked so hard on it what they might then transfer is that they might see a dog elsewhere and be yes. familiar with that dog. And obviously, Coco is a very special dog because of the way that she's been brought up. Yes. So there aren't many dogs that will put up with um, a child sort of putting their face right in and mm. those kinds of things. So we had to teach the children, rather than saying, you know, you know, you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that and you mustn't do that, what we said was, you know, if they're wearing a special jacket like Coco is, that's, that's one thing. If you... Um, if you do certain things to that dog and it reacts like this, then that's okay to carry on interacting once you've spoke to the owner, of course. What we did was, to get around it, we taught Coco to wave. So it was very simple to teach. We clicker trained her that if you wave your hand, she waves back with her yeah.
3: paw. She yeah. doesn't
2: touch, she doesn't make any contact. And we tried to be very careful about that kind of thing. So then the children can come up and even the most, you know, even if they're in a wheelchair and they can still wave mm. um, or they can say wave or if they can't say wave they can move or they can do something and if Coco sits and waves at them then they can carry on and interact with her. That means that the skill then transfers to other dogs and if they wave at the other dog at a distance mm. after speaking to the owner and the dog doesn't wave back then they can then tell that that dog isn't you know it's not yeah. the same yeah. so therefore they have to be a little bit more distant from the dog and that's worked quite well it's only a very basic safety measure but certainly for some of what Adam calls the little dudes you know the younger ones in yeah. the school yeah. they are quite you know that, that's quite an easy thing for them to assimilate so they they are learning a kind of respect but it's through a different channel
0: Yeah, and in a very Um, simple way they can understand.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's an obvious physical signal, you know, and and some of the kids are extremely bright, you know, and and, Mm. and sort of just struggle Mm. with uh, mobility and that kind of thing. So it's a way of making sure that... They understand about dog safety, yes, and on that basis, yes, that's fine. But just because you can do that with one dog, you can't do that with every dog. So let's have a kind of a barrier between the two that isn't saying "don't do this, don't do that." Because I don't think that really helps. It's the same with training a dog. You know, if you go around training a dog, "don't do this, don't do that," and never give them an alternative, do you have a, a very odd, frustrated situation? So, you know, so that that was one of our things, but. What we've started to do um, in part of the school as well as the academy is um, if the children um, behave particularly well, you know, they have sort of reward for good behaviour, that kind of thing, that sounds terrible, but what I mean is, you know, there are some children that display challenging behaviour. Yes. So yes. if um, in one situation there was a child that would display a certain challenging behaviour and if she didn't do that for five minutes she would get a cocoa sticker oh. and another <laughs> five minutes she'd get another cocoa sticker and then give them... Sort of five Coco's because she could go and eat Coco. Yeah. So it was well worth the, inter- the sort of interaction going on because there was a big reward at the end of it. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and these kinds of informal things can be dropped in and out. What we did have to do, though, is make sure that Coco has very specific working hours um, because she's still a young dog. And obviously, everyone wants to stroke her all of the time, and that's, yeah. that's that's fine to a point. But you know, there is a point where the dog just says. You know, I have had enough of this. Yeah. So we have, like, shifts. for, <laughs> um, You know, and there's times where Adam, she's got her in a, got her in his office. She's got a lovely bed in there that was donated by somebody very, very kindly on Twitter. Um, mm. She's got a little bed in there um, and she can just conk out and just have a bit of a rest. She's not in school every day, but, you know, we're very, very aware of the stress levels for her. So we want to make sure that, you know, her exposure is, is kept at a level that she can cope
0: with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a Labrador, um, and I mean, in general, they are that kind of dog that just thrives on interaction. They mm. love it. But as mm. you say, you can't, you know, I mean, as I, I've, I've taken my Labrador to Crufts, mm. and he, he just seems to thrive, and he just wants to work the room. He wants to meet every single person mm. there, I think. But <laughs> you don't let him do that. You don't let him burn himself no. out. You don't abuse the dog, do you? You've got to respect... No. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, you,
2: you, you know, welfare is prior, is is paramount, and I think... Um, you know, with with Coco's, or she's extremely chilled, you know, she will sit back because she's seen it all, you know, um, she will sit yeah. there and she will just go, oh yeah hi, you know, and she's fine <laughs> yeah. and the, one of the biggest challenges we had which is ongoing a little bit is, is food, um, because obviously, you know, she's quite food oriented. Oh yes. <laughs> if, if you've got the food, obviously it's fine um, and we don't really need to use food a great deal now, We do, we do use it for training new things but, you know, there's various reasons why we do and don't use it, but um i know it's a part a big part of any sort of assistance dog or visiting dog or support dog training is that they don't just snatch things mm. um, and, and to, be, to begin with we did have to train her not to raid the school bins um, because what <laughs> she would do is she would be absolutely brilliant she would walk around the school with adam on her lead you know and then suddenly she'd be so she'd spot a bin you know and it'd be like there might be food in there so you know she's still a dog <laughs> yeah. it's easy to forget that you know she's not she's not this kind of machine um yeah. so you know we did some training on that and it was great fun and we got the kids to help and you know, our next project is, um, is for the summer is, a, is um, agility training, yeah. um, which is going to be very low key. We've got very very low jumps that I carry around with me. They're very light, you know, yeah. they're little sort of very low nine inches at most. Um, and you know, some of the children have mobility difficulties, so we don't want to make it difficult for them. Yeah. But we did a dry run a while ago, and I got the children to do the agility course themselves first and then um, and they they absolutely loved doing that, and so it was to try and get them to put themselves into the dog 's mind, what is the dog looking at? What yeah. does the dog have to be told if you don't tell them what happens? If you pull the dog on the lead, what happens? Mm. if you don 't talk to the dog, what happens um, so we 're going to work on that and, and introduce some little obstacles, nothing anywhere near like an agility competition, yeah. you know, nothing but enough you know it's it's a challenge anyway for an inexperienced handler mm-hmm. so if you're talking about that you know the kids really want to do it they can see the point of it it's a very obvious goal Mm-hmm. And it's a very obvious result. You know, if they get it right, if they get it wrong, they can have another go. Um, and they get a real sense of achievement out of it. Well, that's yeah. what I so, you know. And yeah. Coco just thinks it's marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah. I was going to say, it sounds to me like Coco has a wonderful
0: life. If a, if a lab could choose a life, you know, mm-hmm. that's the life they choose, I think. I just want to be around kids all the time, you know.
2: So possibly with free access to bins, I think she'd probably oh, yes. like that. A bit. <laughs> she's not, she's, I've, I mean, I've seen a lot of Labradors and they've been, you know, on the whole, the ones that I see... Um, Usually the ones I see that have problems, but on the whole the ones yeah. I see that are fairly, you know, they're fairly, you know, lively and happy-go-lucky and that kind of thing. And mm. she's she's just got the edge. I think she's an extremely fast learner, yeah. um, and she's extremely laid back. Which although she does enjoy people's co- company, she isn't that kind of almost tip- typical. I mean, that's probably not a very good thing to to say. But you know, she doesn't have that. She will she will happily do things, but yeah. she's not un- she's not obsessed. I think he made a very good choice actually when he picked her out. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. She doesn't have that kind of, just whole a huge love of people. She does like them and she's, yeah. she's happy to sit back and go, OK. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: actually, it is really hard. I mean, it's, it's, in some ways it's a brilliant thing. But, for example, when you're trying to do heel work to music... And mm. the dog's going. I'm just going to go off and work the crowd for a bit, and then I'll <laughs> come back and do and he, no, do, do this now, please. And it's those two loves, food and people. You yeah. know, and think, just could you just tone that down a little bit? So sometimes it does get in the way. Yes, yeah,
2: so I used to struggle with it because I used to think it calls into question: does my dog actually want to do this, or yes. would they rather do that? And then I'm thinking, am I doing this for me, or am I doing it for them? You know, yeah, so, yeah, that's just one of the reasons we give a lot of breaks. Yeah, because I think you know you've got to keep it at a level where she's she's still sort of thinking, yeah, I'll quite happily do that. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing with the children is that, you know, some of them have really had not a lot of contact with with animals at all. And they can, because it's unusual to them, they can be quite jumpy and nervous. And because she's just kind of quite happy to sit there and, you know, wait for them to do something or wait for them to tell her to do something. And if they're a bit, you know, scared or a bit clumsy with what they're doing, she's very accepting of that. Mm. And, Mm. uh, And that's very rewarding for them because they know that even if they get it slightly wrong... Doesn't matter yeah. because the dog's still there and the dog still does it in the end, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, Adam's sort of ne- one of his next sort of plans is to um, is to work with her with the um, the children that only really work with sensory. Um, you know, um, they have a sensory room with lights and things like that, and the children can't really get stimulation from what we would consider to be normal social contact. Mm. They don't they, they don't respond to that kind of thing very much. What they need is is you know, a, a more varied sensory yeah. surroundings. Yeah. And having Coco present is another part of that. So our next aim is to train her to just lie there and just completely relax so yeah. that the children can feel a warm presence yeah. near them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that will be really special if we can get that sorted out. It's, it's, it's harder for Coco at the moment because she's she's in an environment where there's a lot going on. So actually taking her into an environment where there's other things going on but everything's very calm and quiet and she's just expected to join in with that um, in a formal way is, yes. is going to be an, is going to be another challenge for her. But she's a young dog. She's got fingers crossed. A long time ahead of her. So we're, yeah. we're aiming at that one just for her. It would be smashing.
0: Yeah. Now uh, we've said obviously she enjoys it. Um, mm. Obviously she enriches the the school environment for all the children. But she's had quite you know a profound effect on some children, hasn't she? She's mm. sort of helped them speak.
2: Yes. There was well, there was one little boy. Um, but, um, I think it was a boy who has autism this is sort of given this story was given to me, to me by Adam mm. um, who spent a great deal of time there and um, and actually you know use unprompted sentences to talk to her which which mm. he doesn't do that with anybody else at all it yeah. doesn't, um, doesn't prompt he doesn 't sort of just talk to them um, and she's the only that he will do that with at the school that, that I know of anyway that Adam's told me and, yeah. and will say things like you know see you later Coco um, and he doesn't do that with any anybody at all yeah. anybody else I think any sentences he talks are you know prompted and um, you have to kind of drag the information out of the in this way it actually is free to almost express what he wants without having to be asked all the time, which I think is marvellous. Yeah. You know, I yeah. think that really is. And, and and for somebody to sort of see that change in someone because it's a dog there, mm. I think is, is, is just really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so drawing them out like that is, is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, it's amazing just,
0: you know, we're not talking about, um, you know, really intelligent in, in human terms mm. animal, mm. but just that presence of an accepting Loving is is the perception, you know. Just just mm. being there, mm. it's amazing just what that presence can do. Mm. It's incredible. Mm. I,
2: it, yeah, yeah, and it's it's non confrontational as well, you know. Yeah. It's, it's something that the, the the animal is there, and they're there if you know if you want to interact, you can. And mm. and she's not she's not the sort of dog that will go around poking her nose in. I mean, if you've got food, she's learned to sort of sit back and not do anything. She wants to, but she won't. But if, you can, if they can just be around her and she can just be around them and then, and then that yeah. brings on some kind of interaction is is brilliant. You know, yeah. it really does make a difference. And I think given, given all of the issues that you may have with bringing a dog into a school environment and all of the issues you can have with, you know, dogs and the Dangerous Dogs Act and dogs can be dangerous with children yeah. and you have to be careful and, you know, we're very well versed in that kind of thing. But when you yeah. look at the positive outcomes that can happen, when you get it right, well, hopefully get yeah. it right, and when you actually put in the effort... Um, you know, that would be my ultimate goal. I mean, every home could have a dog like that. There's no reason why, you know, we can't have that kind of yeah. reaction and, and sort of interaction in families and things like that. And that's like full circle to what I do. It's really good because it's very specific in this case, but it's the same thing. You know, we're not teaching anything new. It's just specific. Mm, mm.
0: It's it's fascinating. And I think it, it's, it's obviously rewarding for you, but it must be so... Rewarding for the parents to see, you know, what their Mm. children are getting out of it. They're enjoying it. Coco's enjoying it. It's
2: brilliant. They these fundraising things. I mean, they started mm. with little... One of the girls made um, little post-it notepads with Coco's picture on, and they started selling those to raise funds for the school. Yeah, um, And I think, you know, it's, it's a great thing that you can just bring this extra novelty in. Mm. You know, I mean, I, my children go to a, a school down the road, they don't have a school dog, you know, no. they're quite envious.
0: <laughs> I bet, I bet. Do you know, I've worked in one school where the head just bought her her dog in mm. um and the kids thought it was wonderful when they mm. as you say as a reward for good behavior you know you've done a good essay or you whatever mm. it is oh you can go and stroke the dog and it's just such a treat it's beyond mm. stickers sweets everything so oh, i get to see and it is it's wonderful mm. as you i mean say. what it's a
2: good. contrast i mean i you know i took i i do sometimes look after puppies and do a bit of puppy walking for people because because i think it's just so important and you know, just so that they can get out rather than be at home. You know, mm. and the puppies need to go out. And I, I, I took a puppy in my jacket. It was a very tiny puppy,
3: Aww.
2: very small breed anyway. Um, and I took him... He wasn't fully vaccinated. He was in my jacket. I took him up to when, when I went to fetch the children from school. Mm. And the headmistress came out and said to me, I'm sorry, there's a health and safety risk. You have to take the dog <laughs> off the school premises. And I mm. thought... I did say to her, how does this represent a health and safety risk? Mm, and she said, well, mm. he's very cute and everything, but, you know, it's against school policy. And <laughs> I can understand that. I can totally see mm. why if you do it badly, it's dangerous. Mm. But if you're thorough, I mean, you know, you look at the example of Coco, it's not, it's not as unusual as it sounds. And I'm sure there are dogs all over the country that, you know, people with, you know, schools and dogs, there. It, it could work really, mm. really well. Yeah. And not just with children with special needs. There are children all over the place oh, that yeah. need, you know, they need a boost for their self-esteem. Mm. Um, you know, I saw about a school that where the children were allowed to read to the dog and it was improving yeah. their reading. I mean, yeah. what a great idea. Because it's yeah. just something a little bit more, you know, about real life somehow. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I was really disappointed when that happened at the school and it yeah. kind of hardened my resolve to think, like, no, no, this is unrealistic, you know. Mm. Children are going to meet dogs they need to know how to do it it's like when they're cutting up their own food when they're toddlers you don't give them a sharp knife you give them a blunt knife but you don't give them no knife you start them (laughs) off with a spoon not a fork you know and then you give them a really blunt knife and a fork and so they don't poke themselves in the eye with it you know and then you work on to the adult cutlery and then you Mm. then you teach them to chop things up and you do it gradually and if you do it gradually they understand and they can see the responsibilities that are involved you know they're not fools they know what to do as long yeah. as you train them you know absolutely. So that's, that's
0: something that i think we're missing sometimes you know yeah yeah uh, i it's it's incredible I, I don't understand well i i understand it on an intellectual level but i don't understand it on an emotional level as you say just i, I think that that link between us and dogs mm. you know is so innate and goes mm. back so far yes, it, yes. you know how how can you not have that i just don't understand that but you mm. know mm. there you go um now, where can people find out more about you, Karen? Do you have a website?
2: Yes, I have a website, which is um, info at karenwild.co.uk, um, which is j- just my name. You know, It's no e on the end of wild, which is what everyone used to offer. <laughs> um, and, um, or you can just Google my name, because I think my website's quite easy to find. I'm also um, on Twitter, and mm-hmm. um, tend to be on there quite a lot. So. <laughs> um, and my Twitter name is wildpaw.com. So, uh, you know, if anyone's got any questions or anything, then they can get hold of me on on, on Twitter usually is the quickest way. Um, But um, the website has quite a nice blog on it, and I do have a lot of guest writers, so we try to keep it varied and interesting and, again, relevant to how, how dogs are helping us and how they're part of our lives and part of our families and, you know, how they can really help. And like you say, you know, they are a fundamental part of what a lot of us do, and they yeah. help us in other ways nowadays. They don't always help us going out shooting and rounding up the sheep and things like that. But they help us with emotional support and somebody to come home to and, yeah. you know, a nice waggy tail. And sometimes that doesn't always work out. And then you get help. But the idea is the dog is still part of everything that, that you've got in your family. And that's the part that I most enjoy. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I t- my, one thing my dog, dog does for me is get me off the sofa and out to have a walk, which I mm. wouldn't do without him. Yeah,
2: <laughs> well, it's kind of like a conscience thing, but it's actually quite good for you. Yes, you know? training—they're <laughs> kind of like, please, please take yes. me. <laughs> you know. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many benefits, and I've just I've just run a little photo competition. um called my pet dog has a job um, mm. because i'm so keen on on that area and, and just getting people to write in and say well you know well my dog doesn't do anything i say, well yes they do what do they do and then they'll all come up with all these things that the dog really brings benefit to, to their mm. life yeah and, you know it doesn't always have to be something amazing it can just be something like like you just said my dog gets me out, yes. out and takes it for a walk Or other people will say, you know, my dog made me laugh and I was feeling really low. And I
0: think that's brilliant. You know, why wouldn't you want that in your life? I, I, You know, I would want that all the time. There's a link on the Dogcast Radio site to karenwild.co.uk and you can also see a photo of the delightful Coco with Headmaster Adam and some of the pupils enjoying the benefits of a school dog. Maybe one day we'll look back and say, do you remember when some schools didn't have a school dog? Well, we can hope, can't we? As she said, Karen is on Twitter as wildpaw and is well worth following. In ancient Greek literature, when Odysseus arrived home after an absence of 20 years disguised as a beggar, the only one to recognise him was his dog, Argus. We've created a number of dog-related websites over the years, and recently we've used GoDaddy, the world's largest domain name registrar. If you're looking to set up your own dog website or blog, we have a couple of special offers for you. You can get 20% off hosting plans with the coupon code DOG20H1. That's dog 2 h one Or get 30% off a .com domain with the code DOGCAST6. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T and the number 6. If you do decide to set up your own site, we'd love to hear about it. You can find out more about these and other offers by going to dogcastradio.com forward slash GoDaddy. Dogcast Radio is a paid affiliate of GoDaddy UK. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com.
4: Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Kate.
5: And I'm Nick. There are many potential dangers associated with chaining your dog up in your yard, but a Hungarian woman who recently did just that was shocked to discover that both the dog and the doghouse had disappeared. Agnes Tamas chained Bruno to his kennel, but when hurricane-force winds struck, the doghouse, with poor Bruno attached, was lifted up into the air and blown clean away. But fear not, because amazingly, after a radio appeal for news of the dog, Bruno was found 20 miles away, shaken, but not injured. There was no sign of the kennel or the chain, and for Bruno's sake, let's hope it stays that way.
4: Bruno may have been left a little nervous after his ordeal, but in China, a dog has been demonstrating her head for heights. Belgian shepherd Tina is able to climb over 10 feet, using all four of her feet to grip the trunk of the tree and push herself up. Her owner trained her to do this by putting her toys in the branches of the trees.
5: So clever Tina soon twigged what her owner wanted her to do.
4: Yes, and I wonder if in the future her talents will be branching out.
5: Oh dear, I think we'd better leave that subject alone. (laughs) Now on to a dog who stands tall without having to climb a tree. When Cathy and Tim Farr got themselves an Irish wolfhound puppy called Finn, they didn't anticipate quite how big he would grow. Well, little Finn kept on growing, and now at two years old he weighs in at 14 stone, that's around about 196 pounds, and he measures nine feet in length leaving the Far family to face up to the fact that he was just too big for their house in Powys, Wales. So Kathy and Tim gritted their teeth and added a conservatory to their house to make an extra room for their beloved dog. Finn is becoming very well known around his local area. He has a single mattress instead of a dog bed, and he wolfs down a whole kilo, that's over two pounds, of food every day. Apparently the breed can keep on growing until they're about three, so the home improvements might not be at an end yet.
4: Does your dog chew up the post when it arrives? Well, be careful if he does, because a Jack Russell called Toby nearly met a sticky end from indulging in this habit. Toby from Hampshire in the UK set about the post as he often has in the past, but when his owner Jill Bird returned home, she was horrified when she realised that the chewed up paper and the glue from the envelopes had actually stuck poor Toby's jaws together. After failing to prise the dog's mouth open herself, Jill rushed him to the vet where Toby was sedated while the sticky papery gunk was scraped off his mouth and teeth.
5: If Toby fails to learn from his mistake, it may be because, after centuries of being coddled and cared for, our domestic dogs have lost the ability to think for themselves. Well, this is according to researchers in Adelaide, Australia. Tests showed that dogs failed tasks that wolves and wild dogs passed with ease. The canines were presented with problem-solving situations, such as having food on the other side of a fence, which required them to walk down the fence and push through a door to get at the food. While dingoes, on average, found the solution within 20 seconds, domestic dogs displayed signs of confusion and often barked as if to ask for human help, but failed to find the door. However, domestic dogs outperformed their wild relatives in social and communication tasks.
4: Well, if dogs can manipulate their chosen person into fetching that food from the other side of the fence for them, well, maybe they're more advanced than we give them credit for. And that's all from us on the Dogcast Radio News Desk. Goodbye. The only dog to appear in a Shakespeare play
0: was Crab in The Two Gentlemen of Verona. I love finding something I've not encountered before in the doggy world. So when I came across a lady who specializes in shangora, I had to find out more. I learned from Francis Pike just what shangora is.
1: Well, uh, shangora is dog hair that is used for spinning as a fiber. So um, it's... It's not a new thing. Um, dog hair that's used as fiber is called Gora. Shin is French for dog. Angora is for the angora-like qualities because there is a fluff to it that um, that is soft and, and it's like angora. It has been um, used in yarns by Native Americans and Scandinavians for blankets and clothing, but I can't find a whole lot of history about it anywhere on the Internet or anywhere else. That's all I know um, as far as that, I know it's not a new thing to our, our area, but, um, a lot of people haven't even heard of it, so it's, no. <laughs> it's really good
0: to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not, you, you haven't invented it. So where did you come across it?
1: Um, it's kind of funny because, um, <laughs> I have a friend, uh, actually a neighbor that I was telling about my hobby hmm. and, and she said, oh, you know, she was laughing because she has a chow, and um, this dog's hair is so thick and long, and she's telling me that I ought to spin his hair, and we laughed it off, and I thought it was funny, and and about a week later, I found a bag on my doorstep with uh, some hair that she had brushed from him and saved for me, so I started to spin it just for grins to see if it would work, and it did so, I started doing demonstrations with it at historic festivals and reenactments, and it got a lot of attention. That is. bet. Yeah. Um, so, people thought it was either wonderful or fascinating, or they thought it was just utterly disgusting. <laughs> um, there is no middle ground. Um, there is no middle ground. Uh, they either liked it or they didn't. Even with the beautiful samples that I was showing them, you know, it was a foreign idea. It was something very unfamiliar. Um, so uh, anyway, I, I was inspired to try it as a business because more people liked it and thought it was really fun and a good way to remember their pet. And from a spinner's point of view, as someone that spins wool and other things, other animal fibers uh, into yarn, the dog hair was
0: not much different. Yeah, yeah. So t- take us through, so you, you, this, this lady took the, the, brushed her dog and gave you the fur. Now, is there a special way? Do you have to look for any particular type of fur or you just give your dog a good brushing and you save the fur? What do you actually do?
1: Okay, um, when you're brushing the dog, you're using the undercoat. Uh, when you, I mean, when you brush the dog, the undercoat is what comes off on the brush. So um, that is what you collect. And I, I would ask people to save the longest parts of the coat, you know, when they're brushing, save the longest and, and softest part, because that's what's going to make the best yarn. And um, so that's what they did. Now, when I first got started, I would go to a grooming service and get different breeds you know, to see which ones worked better because not every dog's hair is suitable for spinning. Hmm. So the, the best breeds I found were, were breeds with long, the long fluffy coats, undercoats, like Samoyed, um, Border Collie, Shelty, uh Newfoundland, uh, Standard Poodle, uh, Great Pyrenees, you know, those type of dogs, old English sheepdogs and golden retrievers, Pomeranians. I mean, I can go on. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, the, the black, black labs and stuff like that with the short, straight hair, that just doesn't work because their hair is too short and straight and it would slip right out and not hold together.
0: Yeah. Now, that's a pity because they've got shed loads of hair. They just have so much hair, Labradors. Oh, they do. I know. They do. <laughs> that's a pity. That's, but that's interesting because that's quite different coat types. Because if you think of a Newfoundland that is, or Samoyed, you know, that's quite a fluffy coat. Compared with a poodle, that's going to be quite a tight, curly coat. So yeah. do, they, do they sort of spin up differently? Um, they, well, you know, you get
1: different textures and different degrees of softness. And I do, uh, you know, what you want to do is stay away. When they're brushing, you know, you don't want to get any of the guard coat, the straight hairs that that are on top. You want to go under and get the fluff. And and different breeds of dogs have different types of coats. Some of them are double-coated, you know, and you can get that undercoat, and some don't. So, you know, not every... I don't know if I'm answering your question, but <laughs>
0: yeah yeah so so you get the the fur, and then what do you do with it
1: okay, well um uh back to okay, back to the kind of hair
3: mm-hmm. i mean
1: two to three inches of hair or longer is what works the best, and then the undercoat only, and no clippings, because again the dog hair uh, the straight hair is is mixed in, you know you don't want guard hair mixed into it. Um, you want to start with a dry and clean coat before, you know, most people that were doing this for me had inside pets or, or pets that they, you know, thought the world of and took very good care of. So I didn't have to worry about too much dirt. Uh, although I always, always, always clean the, um, the hair uh, after I have spun it into yarn. Hmm. And I'll describe the process here in a minute. But, okay. you know, I always tell people straight off. You know, start with clean and dry if you can, and then when I'm done with it. And the biggest question people ask me is, is it going to smell like a wet dog? <laughs> you know, that is, I've been asked that question so many times, and I always I beat them to it, and I say, no, it won't, uh, when I get done with it, <laughs> because when it's a finished yarn and I'm done spinning it, I will wash it in, um, and I will clean it up, um, and by doing that. Well, maybe I should back up and talk about the process first. Okay. Um, um, Okay, people that are saving, well, people that are saving their hair should save it in a paper bag. Um, And then uh, I'll take this hair and I'll go to the spinning wheel with it and the spinning wheel is a I, I don't know if many people are familiar with spinning spinning wheels uh, although they've been around for years many people haven't seen them and they associate it with Cinderella and fairy tales or uh, sleeping beauty is it yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway what the spinning wheel does it'll take the loose fibers and it will twist it and and that twist is what uh, causes the, the yarn to become, or the the hair to become a yarn. So the spinning wheel will do the twisting, um, much as the same as if you were to take a bunch of hair and just wad it, you know, and twist it in one direction. You know how it kind of wads up and you get a nice line,
3: yeah.
1: uh, like string out of it. <laughs> so the spinning wheel will do that. And so I'll sit down at the wheel and I will spin the yarn uh, with the spinning wheel, and once I get that yarn finished and wound up on you know off the off the bobbin and i 'll wind it up and put it in the sink and in warm soapy water and with maybe some dog shampoo, which works really well mm-hmm. or a or a wool wash and i 'll let it soak in there and get all the oils and dust and and things that are in there out. And sometimes I have to do it twice if it's a little dirty. You know, I keep going until the water's clear, and then I'll just I'll uh, I won't wring it or scrub on it because that will felt it. And and you know, dog's hair mats. It's the same type of thing. If you agitate it too much, you're going to have a a wad instead of nice yarn. So um, you you want to treat it a lot like wool. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, There's different animal fibers that are out there. You may have heard of angora, Mm
3: -hmm. which
1: is rabbit, Um, dog hair, uh, Mohair, hair, which is goat. Um, There's exotic fibers, and uh, shangora is considered an exotic fiber. Um, What else can you spin? Alpaca. Yeah. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. so it's treated the same way in, in the process. And once it's clean, uh, I will press it between paper towels, just kind of set paper towel, uh, not paper towels, um, regular dish towels yeah. and press the water out of it. And, and then once the water's pressed out of it, I'll just let it air dry and
0: then um, it's ready to wind on and be knitted with. <laughs> mm. Wow, it's really fascinating. And what kind of items can you knit with it?
1: Oh, all kinds of things. Um, anything that you have a pattern for that you, you would knit something with, you can do with with yarn. You know, anything you can do with yarn, you can do with the dog hair stuff. Um, I have made um, afghans. That's That takes a long time because yeah. you need a lot of yarn for it. Uh, I've made afghans. I've made, um, oh, let's see, teddy bears, <laughs> stuffed animals. Uh, pillows like decorative pillows for people, um, scarves and hats, mittens, ornaments, just anything you would, you would have a knitting pattern for can, you can use. Um,
0: Yeah. And I mean, as you say, that's a lovely thing. You know, it's great if your dog is, is still with you, but as you say, it's a lovely way to remember the dog, you know, to keep that, a little bit of that dog with you, isn't it?
1: Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And it's gotten a really good, uh, like people that have had pets that they've saved hair and then the pets would die and they would send me the hair they've collected and that is so precious to them. It really brings the animal home. Uh, one person said uh, "Who their dog's name was Waldo, mm. and Waldo died, and they sent me the hair, and they had a little memorial and, you know, like a little, um, I guess what they keep the ashes in, you mm. know, mm. after their dog is gone, and, and they had a picture of the dog, and then they, you know, I made this little ornament that was shaped like a heart, and I filled it with, you know, stuffing, and it was little three-dimensional Uh, heart, Hmm. and I put it on a loop, you know, and they hung it there, and they, when that came to them, the first thing they said was, Waldo's home, you know, it was, it was like their, their pet was back with them in some small way, you know, Yeah. so uh, I, I I treasure that memory. I have a lot of stories that people tell me about things that, that have happened, you know, and, and they're, um, they're, it's precious to them when they get these things back.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So this is a service you offer then? People can send you their dog fur and you will do the spinning and the knitting?
1: Well, this was something I I did as a business for five years. Oh, right. And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not doing it any longer, although I still do it, but not as a business um, here in the, you know, there's just... It got to be too crazy. Uh, Christmas was crazy. (laughs) But the biggest thing, it was just me doing it. And it's very time intensive, you know. It takes time to do. And uh, I don't mind doing it. But what happened was my son is allergic to dogs. Hmm. And my husband had turned our office into a studio for me to do my work. And I even had it closed off from the rest of the house so he wouldn't be allergic you know maybe keep all the hair in one place yeah but the dander and the hair that goes you know when you're spinning that gets into the air which gets into your ventilation so anyone that's spinning anything that someone's allergic to or working with something that's an allergen in the house it just gets into the rest of the house eventually
3: yeah, yeah. So
1: I had to stop. Uh, it got to the point where he couldn't come home without sneezing and wheezing. Oh. And, and uh yeah, it was it was too hard to keep going. So but I still do occasionally when I can spin outside, I'll do something, you know, every now and then, but yeah. Um so basically uh if you can find a spinner or or several, yeah, I know there's there's got to be organizations out there, people that do these things that might be able to take uh take this uh pet hair from people that are looking for spinners you, know, you might be able to find somebody out there that will do this
0: yeah yeah so I, that's what i was thinking i was thinking um i guess the best way for if you want something knitted with your own dog's uh hair you know listeners um have a look on the internet and see if you can find a spinner near you and contact right them. yeah yeah right exactly exactly
1: and another thing that can be done if you're crafty and want to try something, um, you know how sweaters felt in the dryer, they shrink and they, you know, if you put a wool sweater and you wash it and then you put it in hot water or in the dryer and it shrinks real small. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that in, in our spinner's world or crafter's world is called felting. Mm. And in order to felt something on purpose, Uh, you can do that with pet hair or wool or any other animal fiber that's long and fluffy like that. And I will take some of that and put it in uh, some of the hair, put it in hot water and soap and agitate it with my hands until it becomes a flat, uh, almost like a shrunken piece of fabric and there's instructions on the Internet that people can look up uh, that will explain the felting process and how they can use their pet hair to make almost a fabric that, you know, I've seen people make vests with or uh, toys or, you know, anything you would use a, a flat piece of a fabric with. It's quite fascinating what people can do with it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's something people can try on their own if they want to play. With um, you know, <laughs> with the wool uh, or the hair, and see how that behaves, you know. See if they can make something on their own. Yeah. But the process is called felting, and and they can find that online. The directions on how to felt, um, you know, hair or or wool.
0: Yeah. And and find out
1: maybe they can play with it and come up with something on their own.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's great because I must admit, up till now, I've just looked at um. Dog hair is something that 's a pain that I have to sweep up off the floor, but you you've 've you've right. given, given me a whole new way to look at it now
1: <laughs> well you know um, i've had people say it's it 's like holding when they get a project back from, from someone that has done something with their dog 's hair and they, they get it back they say it 's like holding their kids. so that was kind of interesting and when their dog, you know it's like their dog is coming home to them so that's kind of interesting and I hope people will give it a try because they'll have a a useful petable remembrance of their dog and that'll bring them comfort and last a lifetime so it's a very special thing
0: That really appealed to me and you can find out more about Fran at her website weedwhackernits.blogspot.com But please be aware that the blog is more about knitting and is not especially about Shangora. If you knit anything using your dog's fur, we'd love to hear about it. The term dog days comes from Roman times, when it was believed that Sirius, the dog star, added its heat to that of the sun from July the 3rd to August the 11th, causing very hot temperatures. During our recent holiday we received the very sad news that Luna, one of our cats, had been run over and killed. I've mentioned the enriching effect the cats have had on our lives, and both Buddy and I have written about them. You'll find a tribute to Luna in the Dogcast Radio blog, because, frankly, I haven't got the heart to read it out. But she was, as I entitled the blog post, a cat who stole the heart of a dog lover. There's a lot of discussion and disagreement about the choice of companion, canine or feline. But perhaps the thing that unites cat and dog lovers the most is our grief at losing them. As I've advised so many others in their time of loss, I find comfort both in knowing we gave her a good life and cherished her, and of course, in the company of Buddy, Star and Leo. While we were on vacation, we met up with some family members and made the most of the good weather sitting at a table outside a beachside cafe. At one point, a thoroughly wet Labrador, fresh from his swim in the sea, arrived at our table. He wasn't doing any harm, just having a scout round to see if any food or fuss was available. Jenny and I immediately talked to the dog and petted him, despite the fact that he was wet. When he went near my sister-in-law, she froze up, sitting stiffly, and said she was terrified in case he touched her. She's not a dog lover at the best of times, but a wet dog filled her with greater-than-usual dread. I do think that dogs are usually at their friendliest when they're wet through, and maybe that's a situation that sorts the dog lovers from the non-dog lovers. It certainly did at our table that day. It started me thinking, what other situations sort out the two types? I remember sitting at another family meal in someone's home when a cousin's dog appeared in a filthy state. He was a terrier and had found some kind of animal poop, which he had done his best to liberally coat himself with. As luck had it, I had some dog shampoo and some disposable gloves in the car, and within a minute or two, the terrier's owner and I had set to work on him, pressing a handy garden hose into use. The others present watched from a safe distance through the window with a mixture of amusement and distaste. Maybe it's when a dog is wet or dirty that he really finds out who his friends are. What situations have you encountered that sorted out the dog lovers from the not-that-enthusiastic? Till next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio. That's D O G C A S T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you, you can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 288 0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315 849 2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then four four one two one two eight eight zero nine two two. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogcastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example WAV MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What do you get if you cross a dog and a phone? Golden Receiver.